0: Welcome to Word of Life Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will move to and through you from today's message. If this podcast helps you spiritually, will you consider helping us naturally? You can give online or become a monthly partner as we aim to help more ministries and release more content. You can give online today at thelife.cc. Enjoy today's message. We're starting a brand new series entitled Dealing with Blank. And I put out a survey. I say I. I actually didn't do anything. The team put out a survey uh, that asked everyone who was affiliated with our church what subjects you would like me to communicate on. And the number one thing that you all wanted me to preach on was dealing with disappointment. And so we're going to talk about that this week. Next week, we're going to talk about dealing with addiction. That's the second most requested thing that I talk about. I'm fired up for that message as well. Bring some people. We're going to have fun. Uh, but uh, I want to talk today about dealing with disappointment. And I want to open up today uh, scripture to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Turn over there if you brought your Bibles. If not, that's okay. Uh, you can open up your Bible app. You can download it now. I prefer the YouVersion Bible app. I download that real quick. And let's look at scripture here today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse number 16 through 18. Uh, Here Paul is writing, and I like this, it's real quick. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will in Christ concerning you. Uh, So here he lists three things. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in all things give thanks. Um, These are our three attributes that every Christian needs in their life, every follower of Jesus. Uh, We need to learn how to rejoice at all times, how to pray over any and everything that needs prayer, and how to give thanks in the middle of even disappointment. Because these verses tell us something that life is going to require uh, that you pray for some things because not everything's going to go the way you want it to go. If everything went the way that you wanted it to go, you wouldn't have to pray always. The reason why we pray is because things aren't going the way they need to go. It needs heavenly intervention. So this tells us life's going to have some, uh, some things that disappoint you. I uh, Rejoice always. Uh, if everything was like wonderful and great, you wouldn't have to remind yourself to rejoice. You would just rejoice because you got the job and it's wonderful. It pays you exactly what it should. And so you're incredibly thankful just all the time because because it's perfect. But life is not always perfect, which is why you have to be told to rejoice. And in everything, give thanks. There are many times, right, where we don't feel like giving thanks. We feel like complaining. Why? Because life is disappointing us. Um, life has pain attached to it. And as um, a man who has lived uh, for, you know, several decades now, uh, I have seen disappointment. Um, If you've ever heard me teach on disappointment before, you understand that disappointment is the gap between what you expect and what you experience. If you've never heard that before, you've never attended our church, you need to write that down and don't forget it because I say it all the time. Disappointment, all it is, it's the gap between what you expect and what you experience. And this varies, of course, in, in scale. I went to a restaurant this week. I was disappointed. I won't give names unless they're giving discounts. I'm kidding. Uh, but, but out of that, I was expecting something. I experienced something else. That gap is called disappointment. And, and we know what that's like. But there are many times in life where disappointment is far more severe than we just didn't get the meal we thought we paid for. Um, it hurts on levels and ways that go beyond the realm of human comprehension. Now, I don't know your level of pain or disappointment, but I do know mine. I know mine intimately because I went through it. And my father passed away when I was 17 years of age. I did not expect that. I saw him that morning, um, said hello, we ate breakfast, I went to school, and that was the last I ever saw him on this earth. Uh, Every one of my dreams had him in it. I expected uh, him to be in my life much longer. But I experienced something entirely different. And that gap between what I experienced and what I expected is disappointment. Another way you could describe it is pain. Now, we do this all the time. And and I'll, I'll get to this in a minute. Like, we forecast what life will be like. And we get excited about it. And you should. More on that in a minute. Uh, But so oftentimes, life doesn't go the way you thought it would go. And you have to know how to handle that. And unfortunately, when that happened in my life, due to immaturity, I didn't know how to handle that quite, quite as well as I needed to. Because oftentimes, even in church, we don't get taught how to process things like this. And a lot of times, we just think life is going to go continually the way I want it to go. And life is going to be continually the exact way I I pray for. Because in our worldview, especially a lot of times in in churches like ours, we believe God works for us. And he will just do what we want him to do. And it will go the way we want it to go. And we set our expectation on those things. And we ignore the fact that there is a world that goes contrary to God's will. There's our flesh that goes contrary to God's will. And there's a devil that wants to still kill and destroy. I actually sat down with somebody a couple of weeks ago, and um, they asked me this question. uh, Why do bad things happen to good people? They said, I I think you should do a series based off of that, and just call it that, because so many people want to know, like, why do bad things happen to good people? And um, immediately when they said that, I thought about those three forces that are in the earth, the world, the flesh, and the devil. This world is cursed. And so in the world, there's sickness, disease, poverty, lack, disasters, fires, earthquakes. It's a cursed earth because of what Adam and Eve did and the sin that has followed. Then you've got your flesh. There's a lot of stuff that comes into your life simply because... You did it. Uh, it's like one person said, "If I could kick the person most responsible for my pain in life, I wouldn't be able to sit down for a week." And there's a lot of truth to that. Um, that oftentimes we violate God's will, and we violate even if you're not a Christian, your own moral convictions and standards, and you invite chaos into your life every time you do. So why do bad things happen to good people? It's sometimes it's just in the world. Sometimes it's our flesh. We violated a principle, and when we played the fool, we invited chaos. Or thirdly, we forget that there's a devil who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And and out of these things, these three forces work in the earth to create disappointment and pain in your life. And if you don't know how to process this well, pain will alter you. Here's one of the things you need to know about pain. It will never leave you unchanged. Pain will make you bitter or pain will make you better. The choice is yours. But pain, disappointment, will never leave you unchanged. Now, here's the thing. If you don't process disappointment or pain well, it will do two primary things to you. There are others, but here's the two primary things that I have seen. Number one, it'll make you a keeper of the present and past pain versus a creator of a future joy. Now, you are literally designed to have a joy set in front of you. Now... I could easily skip over this because this is not really my main point, but it is a key point. So don't let me just like skip over it. Let's let's all tune in and just really settle on this. I'm going to ask you a question no matter where you're at. Here's the question I'm going to ask. Do you presently have a joy set before you? If you don't have a why, you'll always abandon your what. Um, If you don't know why you're going to the gym, you'll abandon the gym. If you don't, if you lose track of the why you're not eating cookies, you will eat the cookies. Uh, Jesus, for the joy that was put before him, endured the disappointment of people. He had a joy in front of him. Um, Paul said, this one thing I do, I forget what? what is behind me, and I'm reaching towards what is out in front of me. And you know what I found? Most people aren't reaching. Uh, Most people are maintaining today versus creating a future joy. Uh, What I'm working on right now in my life is not the maintenance of this. I'm creating a future joy. There's something else in life I'm striving after, I'm praying for. I'm not thinking about the present or my past pain. Even the, the survival of keeping life the way it is. I, I want to press towards what is out in front of me. And any time I see this in the life of someone, they have a healthy heart. In fact, uh, even people who study people are, are noticing the difference between people who have a joy set in front of them and those who don't. Even those who will plan a future vacation way out, marked to be happier than those who, who don't. Uh, just, they're not even on vacation yet. They're just planning the next one. But there is something to your heart. When it is healthy, it is dreaming. When your heart is healthy, it is pressing. When your heart is healthy, it it is striving after something, reaching after something. There's hope. There's a confident expectation of seeing the goodness of God in a healthy heart. But when disappointment enters into your life, you know what you, you have? Not that. You have a desire to maintain what you have an excuse to keep the pain in your life, or, like Lot's wife, you're constantly looking back to how life was before the pain. When you are looking back to how life was before the pain, before the disappointment, and you're fighting to go to the past versus create a future, disappointment has altered something in you that needs to be fixed literally ASAP. Um, The second thing that disappointment will do is it will redefine you based off of what it did to you. It will redefine you based off of what it did to you. Uh, You'll be known for the trauma that happened to you. Uh, So for me, the greatest disappointment and trauma that happened in my life was my father passed away when I was 17. If disappointment had its way in my life, I would be known for that. Uh, Why is he acting that way? Oh, his father just passed away. Why are they doing that? They just got laid off. Why is he drinking like that? Well, he just went through a tough time. When disappointment is, is having its way in your life, it is redefining you based off of what it did to you. That your testimony is not based now off the goodness of God. Your testimony is based off now of the trauma that the enemy brought into your life. And so that becomes your label. You live underneath that disappointment. It exercises lordship over you. And that disappointment is controlling your mood. That disappointment is controlling your prayer. That disappointment is now controlling your church attendance. Or whether you sing versus worship. That that disappointment begins to have control over you because of what you thought would happen but did not happen. What you planned but it did not go the way you thought it would be planned. And and out of this, this hurts our hearts. And we, we process this and the enemy is trying to sift us like wheat. He is trying to remove us from God and he's trying to remove us from the dream God has given us. Uh, When disappointment enters into your life, it is designed to take away the valuable side of you. So you begin to lose yourself in the disappointment. Uh, Again, you begin to be separated from the dreams God gave you. And you begin to become separated from God himself. Now here's what you need to know. How you handle what happens to you matters more than what happens to you. And I know none of us like hearing this, but it's just the truth. And you need to know this. I'll use my trauma because I don't want to use yours and think that I'm being insensitive to you. But I used to think I was special. Like no one understands me. No one gets me. No one's faced what I am face, uh, facing. No one is, is going through what I've go, gone through. And it's a lie. It's a myth. There have been many people who, whose father died, who, who, who left the earth. There, there are many people who have faced my pain. Uh, There are many people who have faced the exact situation I faced. And and there are many people who have faced the exact situation you're facing. There are many people who have lost their job. There, There are many people who were abused when they were children. There, there are many people, it's sad, but it's the world, the flesh, and the devil. Like, there, there, there these forces are there to still kill and destroy. And, and out of that, there are many who have walked through what you have walked through. And here's what you know. It, does that matter? Yes, it matters. And is it unfortunate? Yes. And it's, it's evil and it's wrong and it never should have happened to you and it never should have happened to me. I'll give you that. But here's what you need to know. How you handle that matters more than what happened to you. And you can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you respond to what happens to you. And you have to know that's what responsibility is. Is responsibility is me taking responsibility for my ability to respond. That in each situation, I have the ability to respond. I, if I'm Job, and all of this crazy stuff is happening to me. I couldn't control all this crazy stuff, but I can control my ability to respond to it. I can curse God and die, or I can, you know, come into this place where I'm like, no, life has still got something for me to press for. I'm going to wrestle with God until I connect with him. I'm not going to curse him. I'm going to take responsibility for my actions. And, and when you're faced with disappointment, you have to literally take control of your response and say, I'm not going to let this define me. I'm not going to be known by my trauma. I'm not going to be known for my pain. I'm not going to let people feel sorry for me. Here's one of the things you need to know. And this is hard, but it's the truth. Like, you got to know this. You got to know this. If you use it, you will never lose it. And somebody says, what do you mean by that? If you use the pain that happened to you as the reason why you are acting dysfunctional, if you use the pain, you will never lose the pain. If you use the pain, you will never lose the pain. But if you will make a decision, I can't control what happened to me when I was a child. I can't control what happened to me last week or one hour ago. But what I can control is my response to what happened to me. And I will take responsibility for my own actions. I'm not going to make disappointment lord over my life. I'm not going to let pain be lord over my life. I'm not going to let the trauma be lord over my life. I'm not going to let it control me. I'm going to stop using it as an excuse. I will deny its right to have power over my life. How I respond to pain matters more than the pain that happened to me. I I, I had dinner with a a young man this week, and we were talking about that, of there were things that happened to him when he was a boy that affected him now as a man. And that's a hard go Uh, whenever I I, I meet somebody like that because I was so blessed to have good parents that the trauma in my household, the trauma and the drama in my household was limited, but his was not, and I told him, I said, as a boy, you know, you're going to have to go back and confront that what happened to you was wrong, and it's okay to say it was wrong, and it's okay to tell people it was wrong, and it's okay to admit it was wrong, because until you face it and admit it was wrong, you don't know what you're forgiving But go back as the boy and admit it was wrong. And look at look the, the people who did you wrong in the eye and, and admit to them what you did was wrong. It's okay to do that. The Bible says if your brother has offended you, you go to your brother. If they won't listen to you, take somebody else with you. It's okay to admit something was wrong in your life. Because if you don't admit something was wrong, you don't know what you're forgiving And as long as you haven't forgiven it, it will have mastery over you. The boy has to go back and forgive what happened to it and come and confront those things. But I said, the man in you now has to take responsibility for the present. The boy forgives the past. The man, it takes responsibility for the present. That I will not allow these things to be the reason why I am not taking ownership of what is happening in my family right now. The victim wants to come and say, the reason why my family is dysfunctional right now is because I had a dysfunctional family. We have to learn how to forgive and let go what happened to us in the past and take responsibility for our actions currently in the present and say, I will not allow the past to have mastery over my present. I am going to change my actions by the power of the living God. I'm going to heal. I'm going to completely recover. I'm not going to have wounds. God is going to bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted. And and out of that, begin to take responsibility. Now, now here's the thing you need to know. Your answer is always found in the presence of God. And apart from him, you can do nothing. You have to know how to gravitate towards him in intimacy. That sorrow that takes you away from God will lead you into a backsliding state. But sorrow that takes you to God will actually be something that begins to change and heal you. Now, now here's something you need to know. Every backslider does something I've seen that's very common. Every backslider judges God by what he didn't do. Uh, What does that mean? We have in our minds what we think God will do. Now here's the problem with that. When David is being anointed king and like the, the oil is like dripping off his face in the face of his brothers and they're all watching this moment. When God is showing him the dream of being the next king of Israel, I guarantee you he didn't forecast or see the pain that he would walk through to get to that place that the world, the flesh, and the devil would conspire against him and that he would have a mentor throwing spears at him. There, there would be many things that if you would to ask David in that moment, like, is this going to happen to you? It's like, no, I'm going to be king. Is this the way it's going to play out? Nope, I'm going to be king. I guarantee you, when Joseph's wearing his coat of many colors, and it's like, I'm my father's favorite. And you get a dream where you see all these amazing things God is going to do. He never would have seen, oh, I'll also be thrown in a pit. My brothers will, like, they'll think about killing me, but instead they'll just sell me into slavery. Uh, They're going to strip the coat off of me and put me in Potiphar's house. And their woman's going to go crazy, like literally crazy. And and out of that, accuse me of a crime I did not commit. And I'm going to be experiencing all these types of... He never did... We don't see the pain. When you get married... You don't see the pain. I've never been at like a wedding ceremony, nor should they uh, necessarily. I've I've never been at a wedding ceremony where it's like, you know, I'm forecasting the pain. It's we'll have kids by here, and he's going to have this job, and I'm going to have this one, and we're going to travel and see the world, white picket fence, and we're going to get the dog. You know, in my my world, that didn't happen. But, But out of that, I'm allergic. So anyway... My point is, is we don't see all of the things that happen in life that come after the dream and our affection for the Lord. And so the backslidden heart, it sees what God didn't do that it wanted to see God do. And it takes on this mindset, God works for me. Instead of I belong to God, that I've been bought with a price. And that my life is not my own. And so it begins to judge God based off of what he didn't do. And, and the heart begins to retire from the dream. And the heart begins to retire from the the, 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 the heart that God is trying to keep and bring into its life. And And I want to encourage you. That you have to come back to this place of being incredibly tenderhearted, And the way that you are tenderhearted is you judge God by his nature. Wait a minute, who is he? He's my father. He's tender, he's loving, he's patient, he's kind. He's good. He came to give me life and life more abundantly. So I judge him by his nature. Therefore, if, if what is happening to me that is disappointing me is not good. If it's not life. If it's not life more abundantly, I judge him by his nature, and therefore I know that if something happened that was disappointing, it was not him. Because I, I judge him by his nature, not my experience. Secondly, I judge him by his promises. What did his words say about this? Well, I didn't experience this. I judge him by his promises, not what I expected him to do. And then thirdly, I judge him by his faithfulness. What I have seen God do in my life. What I have seen God do in my life. And, and I leave the mysteries and I, I leave the, the questions. So many times, and this is going to be hard, okay, But I leave them unanswered and I let him answer them in his timing and according to his will. Jesus said something very interesting in Matthew chapter 18 and I I, I want to show this to you. He said, verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children. Now I've got children and, and one of my disappointments I'm wrestling with now is they're not little anymore. Uh, They're like fully grown people and, uh, you know, these, these humans that I'm watching just grow and expand. But I can remember when they were little children. Now watch what Jesus said. I read that too fast. Except you be converted and become as little children. Jesus is saying you must change. Well, change into what? Change into a little child. And here's what I noticed about my little children. There are many things that are going on in their lives they do not understand. They don't understand why they have to go to school. Definitely don't understand when they leave school why they have to do homework. Honestly, I don't either. Uh, but- All of these kinds of things, they don't get it. Like, why do we have to drive eight hours to get here? You know, it's like, because it's vacation, and you're going to love it. Uh, You know, all of these, they don't understand. They don't understand why they can't play in the street. They they don't understand why they can't wear what they want to wear. They don't understand. And so the whole time they're not understanding these things, what are we as parents constantly asking our children to do? Trust and listen. Trust me and just listen to me. If you will trust me and you will just listen to me, you will mature into a place where you may understand. But you will also come into a place where you will develop into somebody who can be responsible for more. And when you refuse to have mystery in your life where God's got to show you everything, you are resisting the childlikeness God is calling you to. The secret things belong to the Lord. And many times the reason why God doesn't show us everything that we need to see about why certain things did or did not happen is because sin is involved. Somebody somewhere yielded to the flesh. It wasn't just the world and it wasn't just the devil. Somebody yielded to the flesh. And whenever I yield to the flesh, I invite chaos into my life. Whenever I'm yielding to these unhealthy desires that are in my life, and like next week we'll talk about addiction, when I'm yielding to these unhealthy desires that are there, I'm inviting chaos into my life. If you would have looked at David when he's weeping because his son is dying, from the outside you would have been like, how could God let this happen? But David knew why it was happening. He was trying to to keep it covered in the kingdom. Because if it did get exposed to the nation, uh, the, the nation would have right to stone him. They would have literally rights to execute him. So if you were looking from the outside in, you wouldn't understand why is he in this battle. But David knew the reason why he was in that battle. Because of what he did with Uriah the Hittite. And his sin opened up the door for consequence and chaos to come into the life of David. But see, God covers a multitude of sins. He doesn't expose it. And for you to understand, oftentimes he would have to pull back that layer of exposure. And you may even see something in your life that will hurt your faith even more than not understanding. And so we have to learn to to trust in mystery. We have to learn how to, to, to walk in these places where it's like, I don't understand, but I trust you. And here's something I I learned as a 17-year-old boy. My father passed away when he was 44. I did not understand, and that bothered me. How could this man serve you, pastor for you, and have this happen to him? Now that I'm older, I I see why. But you know what I found out in the middle of that? You know what I found out? Answers doesn't change the situation. (laughs) Even if you understand why he passed away. He still passed away. Even if you understand why you lost the job, you still lost the job. And see, the enemy wants you so caught up in God, give me answers, that you're not focused on God, give me presence. Because in God's presence, you will find often answers, but you will find the grace to also see your life be transformed by the power of the living God. I learned something then that I I didn't fully understand in that process where I was learning to to be okay with the mystery. And here's what I learned. There's going to be one day when all of us are in heaven. If you've made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, there's going to be one day where we're all together in heaven. If you have not made that decision, today you can But when we get there, literally Scripture tells us that when we enter, he wipes away every tear from our eyes because he knows how, how painful this world has been to us. And when you look at this world, right, like it, whether it's fires that break out here or um, devastation that happens here or wars or famines or any of these things that, like we could just drive around our community and find pain all around us. Unjustice, unfair things all around us. And so God knows how painful this world has been. And so when we go into heaven, he literally wipes away every tear that has ever fallen from our eyes because in heaven there will be no weeping. There will be no sadness. There will be no torment. In heaven, it is free from disappointment. And you know what also heaven is filled with? It's literally filled with our adoration and praise. That in heaven, it's like, who is worthy? We're not worthy, but there he is. There's the worthy one. And we fall down on our knees and we throw our crowns at his feet. And we, we worship him and we give him honor that is due unto him. Heaven is filled with worship. It's filled with thanksgiving. It's filled with praise. But the Bible says that you and I are to do something here on earth. We are to offer up the sacrifice of praise. A praise that costs you something. Because as long as you're still here on this earth, you have the opportunity to do something you will never be able to do in heaven. As long as you are here on this earth, there is something you can do that you will never be able to do throughout eternity. You know what it is? To worship God in pain. To come to him in brokenness. To be David, and it didn't go the way that you wanted it to go, and you know it's because of your sin, but in the middle of that, to put on the ephod and go into the temple and worship God. To be Paul and Silas in prison, and the only reason why you're there is you saw a heavenly vision telling you to come to Macedonia and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when you got there, they beat you and threw you in prison. And while you're in prison, after you've been beaten and it's the midnight hour, you make a decision that even in that place, I will lift up my voice and I will sing prayer and praise unto God so loud that the prisoners will hear it. I'm telling you, when you're in that place, it does something. It clicks It clicks something in heaven that makes God move here on the earth. There is something that doing a sacrifice of praise does for God that few things do for him. There's something powerful when you're standing there, not understanding, not fully getting it, but say, God, I trust you. God, I believe in you. God, I don't get it, but I do get you. There's there's something powerful there. You know what it does? It heals you. It'll begin to heal you. It'll begin to mature you. It begins to also change things. And you find yourself not being captive to the pain that was in your past. and You find yourself in God's presence not having this, this label define you based off of the trauma that happened to you. You find yourself in a moment where you've seen the God of restoration move mightily in your life. Paul said this, and and I love it. We can go over and look at it. I'll close with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 7. Watch what Paul says here. 2 Corinthians 4 and 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we will not be despairing. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We may be struck down, but we are not destroyed. Uh, I like that. I may be down, but I'm not out. It may have hit me square in the mouth. But I'm still breathing. I still got breath in my lungs. I got a hope in a future. I'm getting back up. Why? The next verse. Watch this. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be made manifest. Where? In my own body. What's he saying? The literal foundation of our faith is Satan gave Jesus his best shot. And through death, Jesus took Satan's best shot. But you know what Jesus did after taking that shot? He got back up. We literally believe in the spirit of resurrection. That no matter what you do to us, enemy, even in our darkest days, it's not over. God's not done. God's going to finish the story. I'm getting back up. I may be I may be hit, but I'm going to get back up. I may not understand, perplexed, but God's going to guide me. We've got to have this spirit that says, I will not use my pain any longer. I will not use my trauma any longer. It will not be the excuse in my life for why I'm acting so dysfunctional. God is going to heal me from my pain. I'm going to take responsibility by my action. I'm going to press into God's presence. I'm going to let it heal me. And I'm going to dream some new dreams. I'm going to believe to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Even when I feel like I'm going to faint, I'm going to believe to see God and His goodness in the land of the living. And while they're singing and while they're praising, it said that the bands fell off of them and the prison doors were open. Giving God that sacrifice of praise. You can give God something right now that you will not be able to give him for the rest of eternity. And that is your love, your devotion, and your belief in him in the face of your pain. Letting him, but also your disappointment, know this is not over. I choose to put my faith in God. And look at those who did. David did that after his son passed away. He chose to worship, give God a sacrifice of praise, and out of that, God gave him Solomon. Job went through all kinds of chaos that he did not understand. He wrestled with God. He lifted up his voice and he praised his holy name. And God made the end of Job twice as good as the beginning of Job. I want to encourage you, friend. God is not done with you. God is not done with your family. God is not done with your life. He's got a hope and a future for you. I don't understand. It's okay. Just trust him anyway. You're going to see... God do for you what you never could do for yourself if you do. I stand here today and this morning just thinking about what God has done in my life. And I'm so thankful at 17 I didn't run from him. I could have. And people, people would have understood. I could have let that pain define me. But thank God his spirit brought me into a place of giving a sacrifice of praise. And God doing what only he could do in my life. Let me pray for you. And let's worship. Father, I come before you and I just thank you. For each and every person at each and every campus. And Father, I thank you that as we worship today. We give you a sacrifice of praise. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. That we send the praisers out when we're faced with an enemy and faced with disappointment. And Father, we thank you that as we do, your Spirit enables us to be healed from our past trauma and pain. But your Spirit also enables us, Father, to dream a new dream, to create a future joy, to leave the past pain, and to press towards what you have for us next. We love you, Father, and we thank you at all of our campuses. You honor us with your presence. You heal our hearts, you refresh our lives.